0: The Gospel of Mark. We're going to take a little break from our uh, journey through 1 John. We're going to take some time today on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. We're going to go uh, at the end of, you know, verses, what, 42 and following in chapter 15 onto the first seven verses of chapter 16 in a message simply entitled, one may guess, He is risen. Woo! risen oh, yeah. Man, Abby, you missed it. The title of the message today, He is risen. He is risen I'm going to be honest, that was still mid. I mean, some of you were really loud. The others were like, you know, I'm not doing that. Let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you, God, for gathering us together collectively as a body. It is our joy to worship you, to honor you on this day. And we pray, Lord, that we would never grow weary or familiar to the point of kind of just letting the message slip past us without relishing the relevance and the importance and the critical reality of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. so, renew our hearts today, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. I mean, guys, today is a great day. And uh, you may or may not remember that I made mention to you last week in our introductory remarks that something to the effect of that every day is a great day for the follower of Jesus Christ. And, and not because we always feel good or uh, are here in perfect health, or not because our path is primrose and problem free or because we are immersed into the creature comforts of this life, but because God has loved us and given his son for us. And Jesus was delivered up and crucified for our transgressions. He was Raised to life for our justification, that we might stand justified, you know, break it down, just as if I had never sinned before God through faith in Him. And each and every day, believer, you live your life in the power of the resurrection. Guys, death has been defeated, and through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given the gift of everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I'm just gonna tell you that your eternal destiny hinges on your answer to that question. To know Jesus Christ is everything. As Paul the Apostle said, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, meaning uh, that comes through that which I endeavor to do on my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, That is that which is hinging upon what he's done for us He says that I may here it is know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death If by any means I may attain to the resurrection From the dead and so today resurrection sunday For the over 2 billion believers all over the world is more than a day of commemoration. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a day of celebration. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the affirmation, the confirmation that Jesus is everything that he said that he is. That he was the spotless lamb of God, the sacrifice who would shed his blood for the sins of the world. And not only that he would shed his blood for the sin of the world, but that God the Father would receive and accept his sacrifice as payment in full for the sin of the world. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient to satisfy the righteous wrath of God against sin. And we know that God accepted his sacrifice by way of the resurrection. And we'll talk a little more about that a little bit later. But just to make sure that we're all exactly on the same page, that we're all clear on exactly how critical, how essential the resurrection of Jesus is, I want to share with you a brief passage found actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, whereby Paul the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it known. Because perhaps you're the type of person, I don't know, and though you would agree that anyone rising from the dead is miraculous to say the least, You don't really understand all the hoopla, I mean, all the hype, all the ruckus that we believers make of this day. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal, but why are you making it such a big deal? Well, listen to what Paul says right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 14, he says this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Listen, if Christ isn't risen, then everything that we preach is of zero value, and everything that you believe— is of zero value. He carries on here in verse 17 and says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying that as believers, we don't hedge our bets. You know, there's a famous story that circulates. I've never checked the reality or validated it personally, but it serves the point nonetheless. It's a famous story about Elvis Presley that he was often seen wandering about or or, or walking around wearing a number of religious articles on his person. You know, he would have a cross. uh, He would wear the Star of David. He would have the Hebrew symbol, the chai symbol. And when asked why, he would say, well, I don't want to miss heaven on a technicality, you know. And why is it when anytime time someone quotes Elvis, they never just quote Elvis? They always do some lame impersonation, and it's not very good, including my own. But he said, I don't want to miss heaven on a technicality. <laughs> You know, if this doesn't work, then perhaps this will. And so I have this and I have that. I'm just kind of hedging my bets. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not how it works. As believers, we go all in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no alternative, there is no plan B, there is no contingency or any other possibility. If Christ is not risen, our faith is futile. That is, it's worthless and we, you and me, we are still in our sins. And then verse 20 of chapter 15, but Christ is risen from the dead. Somebody say amen, amen. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die even so in Christ all shall be made alive that is if through one man's disobedience namely Adam death came to all then through one man's obedience namely Jesus Christ all can be made alive Ladies and gentlemen, we are under what's called a federal headship. And you hear me maybe talk about this from time to time. You know, we live in a country whereby there is a federal government, what that's at least it's supposed to be. And what it means, you know, actually is one man by the people for the people. And so the man at the top, ladies and gentlemen, your president represents you to the world. And whether you like it or not, I'm just not going to switch gears here, but this is why elections matter and votes matter, right? If you don't like the way you're being represented, you got to get out there and make your voice known. But so, too, in the divine scheme of things, we are under a federal headship. And if by one man sin could enter the world, then through one man the sin of the world could be atoned for. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why it's such a big deal. In Jesus, we're no longer dead in sin, but alive to God. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God, who has loved us and given himself for us. And so with that, we're going to take and turn the attention of our hearts to this little window that Mark gives us into the resurrection of Jesus. Now, when we arrive at this section of Scripture... Jesus has been taken, he has been tried, he's been beaten, scourged, and crucified, and he has died. But his body is still there, is still hanging on the cross. And as long as we're on the subject, we should recognize... That Jesus was not compelled to lay his life down through a series or a chain of events that he could not circumvent. There was no sense of duty. There was no sense of necessity. It was not something that he did begrudgingly, but he made a conscientious decision out of love for you and me to be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As A.W. Tozer said, the only sin that Jesus ever had was ours, and the only righteousness we'll ever have is his. And they crucified him. It was approximately 9 o'clock in the morning. And by noon, three hours later, the land was under a total solar eclipse. Darkness filled the land, uh, and it was kind of picturesque. It was kind of apropos to the condition of the world, that light had come into the world. But men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so from about noon till 3 o'clock, this solar eclipse was upon the land and jesus began to cry out my god my god why have you forsaken me they uh, dipped a, a sponge into some sour wine put it on the end of a reed and they lifted it up to him to see if he would want a drink he refused the drink And then he cries out in the loud voice, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. And the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. And so let's turn our attention to verse 42 of chapter 15 of the gospel of Mark. Now, when evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body. Now... We've got to be honest here when we read these verses and confess that we have some mixed emotions here Joseph going in asking for the body of Jesus and you know on the one hand we commend Joseph Being a prominent council member now when he says council member That's another way of saying that he was in essence a part of what would have been considered uh, the Jewish Supreme Court He was on the highest council of the land Uh, He was a man of clout. He was wealthy. He owned property He was a dignitary. And yet, here he is. He's coming forward. He's asking Pilate for the body of a man who was just put to death under the auspice, under the uh, indictment of being a traitor to Rome. You remember there they hung the sign over his head. Here's Jesus, king of the Jews. And it would take courage. Here he is identifying himself, as far as Rome is concerned, with a condemned criminal. And guys, it would take courage to do this. And so we read in verse 43, And taking courage, he went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And so we commend Joseph. But on the other hand, we think, well, it seems kind of late to step up and step out now. You know, I mean, I, where was Joseph's voice when the council was condemning Jesus to death? Or any number of previous occasions when they were planning and plotting his death or demise? It seems at that point, Joseph's voice just was silent. Now, we know he didn't consent to their plans, but he didn't seem to contend, to contend with them either. He just stayed quiet for fear of how it might impact him to identify with Jesus. And so he was, what the Bible refers to in John chapter 19, a secret disciple. Now, we've spoken of this before, so I'm not going to linger on it now. But suffice it to say, I just want to encourage you with this. Ladies and gentlemen... There is no such thing as a closet Christian. It's true, better late than never. And we're grateful that Joseph wasn't ashamed to identify with Jesus in his death. But my encouragement to you is why wait until it's late to identify with Jesus Christ? Listen to me, believer. Take courage now. You have been called to a time such as this, to a culture and a climate that makes a mockery of Jesus Christ, who seeks to strip him and degrade him and humiliate him on a regular basis. And you don't have to shrink back in the shadows and a semblance of shame over who you are or the one with whom you identify. Take courage. Be open about the fact you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Joseph did that. He came out. And he went public with the fact that he was a follower of Jesus, and we're glad that he did. Why? Well, because it... "...brought with it irrefutable proof of one fact." Listen to me. God was going to use Joseph right where he was at, and it would be etched in his word for all of time and eternity. By the way, God will use you as well right where you're at. Guys, I'm not where you are. You're not where I am. And God will use each of us in ways by which he could not use the other. And God was about to use Joseph. Let's look at it here in verse 44. And Pilate marveled that he, that is Jesus, was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And so when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And so Joseph comes to Pilate, and as a prominent Man, He had access to Pilate and he said, you know, I'd like your permission to take the body of Jesus of Nazareth down from the cross and give him a proper burial. Look, I don't want him to wind up just thrown into the pit, into the common dump where most crucified criminals would wind up. And Pilate was sort of taken aback. Now, not that Joseph would ask for him, because it wasn't altogether uncommon that, uh, you know, they would, the people would ask for the body of their friend or their loved one or whatever the case may be. But Pilate was sort of taken aback that Jesus was already dead. Did you see it there? I mean, the Romans did not invent crucifixion. Uh, the Persians did that, if I'm not mistaken but what the Romans did was perfect crucifixion. They had figured out a way to crucify people, ladies and gentlemen, where it was not uncommon at all for them to hang torturously in agony upon a cross for days and days. And they would be uh, fed upon by uh, ravenous animals or predatory birds or whatever the case may be. But Jesus died in a matter of hours. And so Pilate's Sort of stunned And he calls this centurion Who had supervised the whole process He calls him to himself And he asks him if in fact Jesus is dead And has he been dead for some time And this is where we are glad that Joseph did what he did Because it caused Pilate to investigate the matter So what we have here is irrefutable proof That Jesus was dead That Pilate investigated it personally. He had eyewitness testimony from the centurion who had, believe you me, I'm going to say conservatively, had seen dozens and dozens of crucifixions. He knew death and he knew that Jesus was dead. In fact... Not only had Jesus been crucified, we know that he had been pierced in the side with a spear after he had died to ensure that he was, in fact, dead. Guys, it's almost like God knew that... Centuries later, uh, cultures and countries removed, that people would try to question the validity of the death of Jesus Christ. And so Pilate investigates, the eyewitness report comes back, Jesus is dead. Now, if his death was genuine, you know what that means? That means his resurrection is genuine as well. He did not how many of you have heard of this uh, theory, this swoon theory. You heard of that one? I mean, who, listen, what does that mean? It means that there are those who put forth that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just kind of swooned. He just kind of, he blacked out, for lack of a better term, on the cross. But uh, after they took him down and he he spent a few days, uh, you know, his body wrapped in a nice cool tomb that he sort of revived, he sort of recovered, and he walked out. What kind of, and, I, and I, I really searched for a word, and the best one I could come up with was individual. <laughs> what kind of individual comes up with or actually believes that kind of nonsense? I have an idea. Now, I'm speaking facetiously. I know we got to make that clear in today's culture in which we let you know, no, don't brand it. Just speaking facetiously here, but I got an idea. Let's take Mr. or Mrs. Swoon theory and beat them and scourge them and crucify them and then run a spear through their side while they're hanging there and then we'll take them down after they're rendered unconscious. We'll wrap them from head to toe in a sheet and all these linens, probably not easy to breathe in that, but that's okay. Then we'll place them in a mausoleum. We'll seal the door and we'll check back in three days and we'll see if they've made it out all peachy, rip-roaring, and ready to go. (laughs) This nonsense. Jesus was dead and a Roman centurion investigated and verified that for Pilate and so if the death of Jesus is genuine somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. The resurrection of Jesus is genuine as well. Now look at verse 46 and then he brought fine or bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid well that's pretty much that Imagine the finality of seeing Jesus being placed in that tomb. And there's Joseph, perhaps he had a servant or two with him. And they're carefully carrying the body of Jesus into this tomb. They have to get down. It's been carved out of a rock. It wasn't a door. People aren't expected to go in and out. It's be only about three or four feet tall and a couple of feet wide and, and, they, and they have to they're carrying so carefully the body of Jesus in there and they lay his body on this hewn out slab and then as they come out of the tomb they roll this stone about the size of a wagon wheel. In fact this would be a good time, Marian, if you've got some of those pictures. These are like first century Jewish tomb kind of examples. You can just roll through them unless that's the only one you've got. That's okay. But they, they roll a stone against the entry and family. Uh, and that's the, that's the garden tomb there. That's just an example there. Uh, but it was done. And the women are are watching all of this and how they must have wept as the stone was rolled in place and the Roman guards would take their place around it and place their seal upon it. But they wanted to know, and that's good, Marian, but they wanted to know exactly where he had been laid so that they could come back first thing Sunday morning and finish preparing his body. Because being about four, maybe five o'clock in the afternoon... (laughs) you <laughs> They had to do kind of a rush job preparing his body because uh, according to the Jewish day of reckoning, the day starts at six in the evening, not in the morning. We kind of go sun up to sun down. They would go sun down to, uh, pardon me, sun up to sun up. They'd go sun down to sun sun down to sun down. Yeah. So the day would start at about six or the sundown and it would come around. Does that make sense to you? So being about four or five in the afternoon uh, and work having to be done by six, why? Because it was a preparation day that is the day before the sabbath joseph had to move fast is the point and he couldn't finish the process of applying all the spices the layers of linens in a proper fashion and by the way you might just make a mental note none of them expected a resurrection what they expected was to return sunday morning and appropriately prepare the lord's body for burial In fact, uh, when the women told the disciples what had happened, none of them believed them. They, They just weren't expecting it. They knew death when they saw it. And in their minds, even though Jesus had told them otherwise, and we'd like to chide them for that, but how many promises of God have you failed to really believe? Come on, somebody. So even though Jesus had told him, look, you know, the Son of Man is going to be taken and tried and crucified and, and, and on the third day he'll rise again. You know uh, that a wicked and perverse generation Seeks a sign and no sign will be given it Except the sign of the prophet Jonah That even as Jonah was three days and three nights In the belly of the fish Even so the son of man will be three days and three nights In the heart of the earth But even as that fish couldn't hold on to Jonah so to speak But spewed him out alive on the beach Even so death wouldn't be able to hold Jesus Christ But it would release him He would have victory over it He would arise alive on the third day But they just didn't believe that they weren't expecting it look at verse 1 chapter 16 now when the sabbath was past mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices and the, that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now, does this sound like the conversation of a group of ladies who expected Jesus to have risen? Guys, the men weren't even with them. I mean, the disciples, the ones that were with Jesus three years hearing everything he had to say, they didn't even they didn't even go. They would know there was just they were still tucked away in the city, fearful for their own lives. But as soon as it was light, Sunday morning, they came to the tomb. They were too late. Did you see it there in verse two? The sun had risen. Okay, I got to work on my delivery. It's, It's a wrong spelling. But both were true You get what I'm saying However That was not where their heads were They were worried about the weight of the stone And you know again Wanting to apply uh, spices They're having what we consider common conversation How are we going to do this what, You know I mean we, we want to be there We got to take care of this Maybe they were hoping the Roman soldiers Would, would help them with the, with the stone and all but much to their shock, their surprise, their amazement, as they approached the tomb, they lift their eyes, and the stone was already rolled back. Now, of course, we can't let this go without mentioning the fact that this stone, which Matthew tells us was rolled back by an angel, it was not rolled back to let Jesus out. All right? Can you imagine? I mean, there's Jesus in all of his glory. He's risen victoriously that morning only to be stuck behind a stone. And, you know, and there he is. And he's all in there pounding away. Hey, guys, is there anyone out there? I mean, come on, let me out. Perish the thought. That stone, Jesus did not need any help getting out of that tomb. The angel rolled the stone away so that the eyewitnesses could get in. So that these ladies and the disciples that would follow could see with their own eyes that Jesus was not there, but that he had risen from the dead just as he had said. Now look at verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe uh, sitting... Oh, man, I lost. Sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen and he is not here. See the place, <laughs> excuse me, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter That he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. How incredible is this scene? They see the stone rolled back. They hurry to the tomb to investigate what's going on. There's no soldiers. I mean, it's just a desolate kind of a there's nothing happening. They, they stoop down. They enter into the tomb. They don't see Jesus. They see a young man in a long white robe. It startles them. It scares them. And understandably so. Now, we gather from the other gospel accounts that this young man was actually an angel appearing in human form. And though they may not have placed their finger on it, immediately trust me, I am certain that they could sense something supernatural was happening here. And they're like they're like on edge. Probably the hair on the back of their neck standing up, they're kind of weirded out. What's happening here? And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And the angel announces this glorious news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he paints a picture of contrast for them of who Jesus was. Versus who he now is. And it's important that we see that. He was crucified. That is, he was dead. He stood in our place. The wages of sin is death. And somehow and in some way, Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. And through this holy transaction, he paid our debt in full. That's what was. But let's not stop there. Let's move on to what is. Come on, somebody. He is risen. And that's what he is right now. And it's, guys, it's not uncommon to see, (coughs) excuse me, to see jewelry or paintings or carvings of Jesus in agony there upon the cross. And, you know, I suppose that reminders have their place, but that's who Jesus was. That's not who Jesus is. He is risen and he is at the right hand of the father and he is ruling and he is reigning in glory. And it's important that we understand something here when it comes to the he is risen aspect of what's going on. And that is this. Jesus was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. And this is an important distinction. He was resurrected bodily from the dead. Question, when these women went into that tomb, when those disciples a little bit later would race down, stoop down and enter in, did they see the body of Jesus? Was the body of Jesus there? No, No, it was not. This was not a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical bodily resurrection Not resuscitation Now there are And I'm, I'm splitting this hair here Because there are several Because you know the Bible talks about how Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection People often have a question But he, I thought other people had had come to life You know the other people had been raised from the dead and all So how is he first? Well There are several examples in scripture of people who were dead, some for hours, some for days, who were raised to life again. But ladies and gentlemen, they weren't resurrected. How do I know? Because they had to die again. You see that? Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. He defeated death. He rose in his glorified body never to die again. And the angel wanted to make sure that these ladies and later the disciples could see with their eyes that Jesus was not there. He had risen from the dead. And guys, it's not that the testimony of an angel isn't enough. I mean, I'm not going to doubt what an angel of God tells me. Uh, but people don't always believe what you've heard. It's much more credible. In fact, historical fact is predicated upon what people have seen. One eyewitness is worth more than 20 earwitnesses. And when you see the place Jesus had laid, you know that death is defeated. When you see the place where Jesus had laid, you know in truth, Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, that he is the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus sets the precedent for and brings assurance of our resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. And though Jesus died a sinner's death, The resurrection proves that he was, in fact, sinless. Therefore, death could not hold him. The death of Jesus on the cross was the payment for sin, and the resurrection proves that God received that payment in full. Listen to me. And we're not far from finished. Just hang with me. When you purchase something of great value, you want a receipt for that, So that anyone who would question your payment or inquire can see proof positive that the full payment has been received. Well, the resurrection shows that the father received the death of Jesus Christ as payment in full for the sins of the world. Praise God. Now look at verse 7. But go... Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. couple quick mentions here, and we will be done. What's the basic message delivered by the angel to these women? Guys, it's the same message that's extended to you and to me. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Jesus is alive. He was delivered up for our transgressions. He was raised for your justification. Come and see and go and tell. How beautiful are the feet, right? Romans chapter 10, of those who bring good tidings or great tidings or glad tidings of good things, when you take the gospel to the world, now, what else does the angel tell them here? He's, uh, that he tells them that Jesus wanted to reveal himself to them. There, he says, you will see him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the offer that still goes out today. Jesus extends, listen, an invitation to you. He wants to meet with you that he might reveal himself to you. And we should note that invitations, the invitations of Jesus are filled with grace. Guys, I think we'd all agree Jesus had every right to be done with these disciples. I mean, after all, they had all I mean, Peter gets a bad rap and understandably so. He was certainly the most vocal, but every one of them fled from him. Every one of them failed him completely, yet he extended a gracious invitation to them to meet with him that he might reveal himself to them. And don't miss this, Jesus always keeps his promises. The angel says, there you will see him as he said to you. What he says he will do, he will do. And in closing, I don't know, uh, whoever's coming forward, maybe Karen, maybe Adam. I want to note this special mention of Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why? Well, you know, Peter, as I just mentioned to you, had failed Jesus in a greater way than any of the others. But don't miss it. The Lord's grace, his mercy, his restoration would abound toward Peter in a way greater than toward any of the others. And maybe you're here today. After all, it's Easter Sunday, and I'm so glad you're all here. But you feel like, truth be told, if we could peel back the reality and look at your life, you know, you've blown it so bad, you've grieved the heart of God so deeply that in reality you're here. Maybe someone invited you, maybe you're here with mom or dad or, you know, whatever. But it's like, you know what? Um, I think God's just done with me. Well, listen to me where sin abounds, grace abounds still more. And Jesus invites you to meet with him today. And he's waiting to renew you, to restore you, to return you to that place of fellowship with him. And so if you don't know him, the invitation is there. Come and see. And if you're in that place where you know what, man, I've just failed him. Well, the invitation's there to you draw near to him and he will draw near to you and he will restore you and he will return you to that first love relationship. God, we're so grateful for the work of the cross, the truth of the resurrection, God, more than a commemoration, it is a celebration. Death is defeated, forgiveness of sin, everlasting life, gifts of your grace. And we thank you for the abundance of grace that you pour out on us every day. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. And guys, as long as we're here on the subject of grace and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you know, There's something else about grace that the Bible tells us, and that is that we're saved by grace through faith, trusting in what Christ has done on our behalf, how that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. He paid the debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And so what must I do to be saved? The Bible is clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so I'm just going to extend that invitation. Here we are. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Praise God. They love you. They, they had the eternal best interest for you at heart. And you've heard the gospel. Maybe you've gone to church or maybe it's your first time to church in years. I, I just don't know. But the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart. The question is, are you bold enough? Will you take courage? And will you open the door today? And as long as I have your attention, I want to talk to you, believer, because I I trust that some of you are here today. But you've been in that backslidden state. It's like, well, it's Easter. I suppose I need to go to church, but man, I'm just so, I feel so, man, I've just, I've blown it, you know? Well, the Lord, we use that, that phrase, the Lord, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that is what the Lord does. But you, you realize that when, when he uttered those words, he was talking to his church. Somehow and in some way he had found himself outside. He wanted back in. He wants to make your heart his home. And so I'm going to start, believer, with you. If the Lord's dealing with you, man, let's lead by example. And I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally. I'm not trying to coerce you into something that God's not speaking to you about personally. But I'm saying if the Lord's speaking to you. And it's, it, it could be a major way. It could be what maybe a minor way. I don't know, but it's prodigal come home. Well, I want to pray for you. And so, again, let, guys, let's just close our eyes. Let's just uh, let's honor the solemn moment of you and, and God. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we need. And so if the Lord is drawing you back today, can I pray for you? You know what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you just to to show me your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll say so. And you can put it back down. God bless you. I see it. Who else? God bless you too. And God bless you too. That's great. And God bless you. Guys, you're showing me your hand, but really you're showing God your heart, right? And if you're here and maybe you've, you've gone to church or it's your first time in a long time or maybe whatever the case may be, but you don't know Jesus in a personal way. Maybe you've played the church game, but today's a day of salvation. If you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Open your heart. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you? I'm going to ask you to show me your hand as well. So that the Lord is dealing with you and you're going to respond to him. Do it now. Don't miss your moment. And let me pray for you. Anybody here for that? God bless you. Anybody else here for that? God bless you. Guys, you're not joining a church. You're not, you know, you're saying, I need Christ to forgive me of my sin, to save me. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Well, guys, I'm just going to pray. And as it applies to you, and listen, you you don't even need me to lead you. The Bible is clear. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. The fruit will be made manifest, will be made evident when you walk out this door. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. And so maybe you're the one that he's gone after today. He's left. Some people are like, man, it seems so, so strange. They read that parable, you know, how the good shepherd would leave the 99 and seek after the one. It seems so strange that he would leave 99. Well, it does seem kind of strange until you're the one. And then you're so grateful that he would come and seek for you and search for you, that he might find you and restore you. And so, Father, I just pray for every heart that's returning to you. Lord, that that. That gentle touch of restoration, of your love and your compassion. Lord, we just be poured out upon hearts and minds and lives. And if you were saying, you know what, I need Christ to come into my life. It's the same story. You just come to him. You just cry out to him. Tell him who you are. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. God, I'm a sinner. Just tell him. And I fall so short of your glory. But God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. That you would come into my heart, God. That you'd fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I don't want to play games with you. I want to be right with you. And so I'm asking you to strengthen me. To lead my life for you. And thanks for putting my name in your book of life.